Last week, I had a chance to be with some other pastors for a little bit, just to spend some time uh, encouraging and uh, refreshing uh, each other and to speak into each other's lives and, and to be blessed. And one of the things we did is uh, the group that we were a part of wanted to bless these pastors. And so we had this really cool and amazing dinner. But at the end of the dinner, they had a, a dessert called Baked Alaska. Anybody ever had Baked Alaska? You had it before? Okay. Never had it in my life. But um, it was the craziest dichotomy because they bring this out and it's basically ice cream and cake. But then they set it on fire. I'm pretty sure with alcohol, and that's super awkward to even talk about. I don't even know if I can say that in church. I think they, but the alcohol burns out. I'm not, okay, just we're not going there. But anyway, that's not one of the questions we're trying to answer this morning. But, <clears throat> but anyway, I think they, they pour something over it that's flammable. I'm pretty sure it has to. Anyway, so it's on fire, and it's like this weird dichotomy where ice cream is on fire. These two things that seem totally opposite but are actually happening, it's all one dessert, and I love this picture that we get, and that happens all the time. You, you, we could all point to different things that seem like they're totally opposite, but they work together. And I want to lean into that because I think there is a narrative that often happens. In fact, more and more in the culture we're living in, there is a narrative that's being propagated all the time that it is, there is one thing or another, that it can never be both. That the, and I would say the media often paints issues in terms of a good guy and a bad guy. And I don't care who the media outlet is, this is often what we see is that there is a good guy and a bad guy, and the bad guy, you should fear, 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 because that bad guy is coming to get you. And so sometimes that bad guy is a politician, sometimes it's a social issue, sometimes it's a future crisis or whatever it is, but if you're, and the, the kind of the narrative is, if you're not being proactive, and if you're not screaming your head off, then you are a part of the problem. And that's a lot of the conversation that we see happen all the time, and so uh, what, of course, media does is try to whip people up into a frenzy so that they'll watch more of their programming. And so we get whipped up into a frenzy to take on whatever the bad guy is that's being framed for all of the ills of society. And so one of the things that's happened because of that is we've lost our ability to have meaningful, real, nuanced conversations and healthy discourse when people disagree about something. We're losing that ability to actually be able to talk with someone that you totally disagree with, but be able to do it in a way that's really helpful and meaningful. And so we recognize that, listen, most problems, most issues, they're incredibly nuanced. There's lots of perspectives and understandings, and often there's Two sides and two things happening, and often it's not really black or white. Sometimes it's shades of gray to try to understand a particular issue. And when we don't hear our particular viewpoint being valued, then what we tend to want to do or what we see happening is we react really loudly and especially really angrily with those that we actually hope to be able to bring a fresh perspective to even a perspective life, meaning those that don't believe the same as you, if you have a desire for them to be able to come, uh, the opposite is happening. We're screaming in a way if, uh, that, that's actually creating more and more distance, and this is happening all the time. So if you, for instance, if just put yourself in the shoes of someone who has a hardline stance on something that you completely disagree with, 
someone has a hardline stance on something that you completely disagree with, are you more likely to listen to them if they tell you that you are a pig-headed, ignorant, bad person? Or are you more likely, are you inclined to talk to them if they ask you questions and they try to understand the perspective that you're coming from? Well, the answer is clear. Every one of us would love to be able to have a real conversation with someone that completely disagrees with something that we believe deep down. We'd love to be able to talk through that rather than being berated or yelled at or screamed at. And certainly, I think someone else on the other side of the issue would want the same. Yet, oftentimes, I'd say, and especially the, a Christian perspective is represented at times, whether the narrative, by the way, is true or not, is that we have these deeply held beliefs, but that we're, with those deeply held beliefs, ready to pummel anyone else that doesn't believe that way. And I'm not saying that narrative is always true, but I do believe that that narrative is out there. And I want to just begin to, just for a moment, explore that because of the truth of God's word, right? Because of who God is, his revealed nature, his character, because of who God is in his word, we all have some deeply, deeply held beliefs, things that we believe, that many of those issues are very black and white to us because God has made them black and white, because uh, he's called some things right and some things wrong. And so here's my question for those deeply held beliefs that we carry as followers of Jesus is, do we ever win the day by shouting down, berating, humiliating, degrading, or if you will, forwarding the angry post or whatever it is, for, for someone else that believes something differently? Do we ever actually win what, our heart, what the heart cry is to help someone see what we believe by coming at them angry to shout people down? Or I would say even better yet, do we ever see Jesus or the apostles lighting people up for their wrong or broken beliefs, if not pagan beliefs, that the, of the world that they lived in in that moment. I'm asking the question. I think you could actually make a case the only people that Jesus really ever tried to talk down were the religious elites. So I want you to hear this. Today, I'm not here to talk about compromising truth I want to talk about just for a moment how we talk about the truth. Because how you and I discuss the truths of God's word displays the character and the nature of God as much as the truth itself. Okay? Meaning the tone, the attitude, the nature of how we share God's heart and his righteousness and his purity and holiness and the morality that comes from out of him, right? All morality is actually from who he is. It's so important to understand that the tone with which we do that is just as important as the truth that's being said. In other words, the, the truth shared meanly or callously does damage to the understanding of the God that we want to invite people to know. And so it's important. 
I love, and we get to see this, by the way. This is all throughout Scripture. God gets to say, he gets to answer this question in multiple ways. One, Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 25, 15. With patience. Everyone say patience. It's your favorite word, I know. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Patience, softness, thoughtfulness, moving away from harshness. To which we can say, but Keith, listen, there, there's some really broken stuff going on in our world. Can we agree with that? There's some really broken things going on. And that thing will rise up. Aren't you afraid we're going to lose our country? In fact, it really doesn't matter even where you're at on the political spectrum, what sides of issues, whatever it is right now, the narrative is that we're losing our democracy and the whole thing's falling apart. And there's this general kind of fear. Aren't we afraid we're going to lose our country? To which I just want to say, no, I'm not. Because hear this. You and I first and foremost belong to a new nation and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hear this. We first and foremost, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you may not be you, you, watching us online, you might not be in that place. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you are first and foremost a part of a new nation and a new kingdom. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews says it this way. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. When you and I became followers of Jesus, we became first and foremost followers of a new king and a new nation. And it's unshakable, and it's led by a God who is a consuming fire, which means he'll have justice always. You, meaning, you might live in a place where there isn't justice, but God will have justice when it's all said and done. And there's such a cry for justice in the moments in so many beautiful and right ways and some that are really broken and fleshy ways that there's being asked for justice. And I, I had a chance to share on that a lot, long time ago and I won't go into all that, but I just wanna say, when you have a God who's a consuming fire, guess what? All justice will be made right and whole one day. So you and I can let our souls rest today because we belong to a kingdom that is rock solid. And I love what the next scripture says. By the way, those things tend to get broken up because we've broken into chapters and verses so we can remember where those things are. But if it was, it was just actually in its original, it was just written in manuscript form. The very next verse after we live in a new kingdom that cannot be shaken and God is a consuming fire, he's gonna take care of all the things. So therefore, Hebrews 13, one, let brotherly love continue. I love that the very next verse or the response 
out of living in a broken world, but being brought into a brand new nation, a new kingdom first. Being made citizens of a completely different kingdom is to say, well, then let's let loving people roll, continue to be the thing that moves us forward. To love those who hate what you believe. Come on. To love people who hate what you believe. What Jesus would say is, love your enemies. Or those that might be even hostile to the gospel. What's the course of action for someone who hates and is hostile to the gospel? Love them. Love them. Not only are we in a new kingdom with a new king and a new nation, but guys, you and I are taking up temporary residence here and this world and this nation is not your final home. This world and this nation is not your final home. Hebrews 13, 14. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. There's a city coming. There's a government coming. It's awesome. It's untouchable. It's, it's unbelievable. It's full of justice. That's where we're headed. So we're in a temporary place. What Peter says to the church, he says uh, in his letter, first, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, he says, he says, listen, you need to understand you're a chosen race. Which I love that. Even in all the conversation about race. And God's just saying, I'm just building something new. A chosen race. Called by my name. This is what will be the identity on you. Actually, not the color of your skin. But the fact that my blood covers you. This is making a race of people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Hear this. And I'm so thankful for this scripture. But hear this. He's not talking about America. He's talking about his people, the church. And they exist across the earth in every nation. But we get to take up a moment of residence. Look at what he says. So that you may proclaim. What's the point of being made into this incredible nation of people? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as what? Aliens and strangers to abstain from the fleshy lusts which war against the soul. What he's saying is, you're here temporarily. You got temporary residence in this place. God's granted to us, I would assume, most of you didn't come or fly in from some other nation, so I'll just make the assumption here that America is your temporary home where we get to take up residence and bring more people into a new nation. 
to a new understanding, a new reality. Aliens and strangers. And what he's saying is just make your heart ready to war against all that fleshy, lusty desires that overtakes everyone else that is telling you that this world and this nation are your only hope. And it's not. I'm so grateful for the country that we live in. We get to worship freely. We're doing this freely. I'm saying these things on camera. Hey. Uh, And it's going out to wherever. And at least as of today, we get to do this. And I'm not worried about any, anyone following me up and taking me off to prison for now. I'm thankful for, I'm so grateful for America. I just, it's not our final home. And it's just easy to get spun out when you see the world around seemingly being chaotic. And God's just wanting to say, it might be, candidly, it was chaotic for my son and his followers, and candidly for every generation since then. And it might be a little bit chaotic for you. So church, followers of Jesus, get your soul anchored in the one place that cannot be shaken. Put your hope and trust in that. And why is... Why, is I, why am I saying that? Why is all that important? Because when we do that, then we get to have freedom in our hearts to do the real work of bringing hope and healing to this home that we live in for now, to this temporary place, right? Through sharing the love of Jesus and his heart, calling people to walk with him. And we get to let the Holy Spirit do the job of changing and transforming hearts and moving people's lives and to not put our hope in conspiracy theories or all the things that we tend to listen to or the angry social media thing that came across and you feel spun up about. Listen, give it over to the king of the universe in prayer and in intercession and say, Lord, you change hearts and minds and help me love people well. Could we begin to trust the king of the universe to change hearts and minds? And so we just choose to love people and introduce them to the king of the universe. If America is not our final home, then guess what? We actually get to be free to love our country well, right? To bless her and to pray for her and for her health and to pray for her to turn from sin and to turn to God and to love her broken people that have differing beliefs than we do and to ask God to change and transform hearts and to vote and to pray for politicians, not as those that we see as enemies, but those that we want to see God's light and his truth to come to. When this place is temporary, then we get to just lay down in freedom and say, God, move and touch this world. Change. We get to be free to do that. And that's important. Having freedom to be able to operate with the spirit of freedom in this place, in a world that seems a little chaotic, is so critically important for our joy and peace moving forward. There are so many, what I, there are so many things I would love to see God change and do in America. But I'm gonna be honest with you, I feel that way for a lot of nations. I don't think there's a nation on the earth where God doesn't need to do supernatural, powerful works 
that we don't want to see him move in crazy ways. I've got a family here that's four seconds away from going to Paris to love on refugees. And if you haven't met the McNew family, you need to meet them and hug them. Their hearts to go to another nation where the nation and the kingdom of God needs to be spread and shared. None of it's great out there, but the kingdom of God is, and we get to take it wherever we go. Man, how much more freeing would it be if we were just able to say, hey, wherever you're living, you're there temporarily, so let's just love well. Let's love well. And I do all that, and it's basically a little mini sermon before the real one. Sorry, what time is it? Okay, we're going to get this done. I'm going to get you it. Because one of the places where this narrative often exists is this place between science and God or science in the Bible, or science in Christianity, and often the narrative is it's one or the other. It has to be one or the other. And the truth is, is no, it's not. It's both. Beautiful. There's this beautiful compatibility between science and the word of God. And there's often damage done. Again, go back to the narrative of the good guy and the bad guy. And science often says religion's the bad guy, and religion often says science is the bad guy. And we try to swing on these ends of the pendulum, and in actuality, these two things are beautiful and moving and coming together. And so there's a path forward for believers and followers of Jesus to hear this build bridges between science and God, to be able to build bridges for people to begin to walk across because they're not mutually exclusive And we get to talk about all the things that science has done. It's amazing what science has done is actually corroborate what the Bible has actually been saying from the beginning, that this world is so beautiful, so incredible, so intricately woven. It's impossible for it to exist from anything other than an incredibly powerful, intelligent, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, period. But let's go to the record of what the scripture says. You've got your Bibles open. Psalm 19. Let's look at what the scripture has been saying for thousands of years. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. You see that image? The psalmist in this case, King David says, saying, listen, one of the purposes of nature, one of the purposes of what God created is to declare the glory of God, to show us what he's like, right? And how many of you ever just had that feeling, I just feel close to God in nature? Yeah, some of you are like, just give me air conditioning, I'm good, okay? And that's fine. We thank God for whoever, whoever invented, yeah, God, thank you for you, you gave to invent AC, or just amen. But I don't know if you've ever been in nature and been like, sense nearness or whatever, closeness to God. And not because nature is divine, but because the divine one created it, made it. And it's just screaming. It's constantly declaring. There's a brilliant king of the universe that's crafted this. It goes on to say in verse four, it says, their voice goes out through all the earth. This is created, the created world and their words to the end of the 
their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now, just pause real quick. I want you to see that David there is unpacking how we get to see the power and beauty and majesty of the Lord in creation and what else? The word. Creation's revealing the reality. He just, like in verse seven, he just makes it, he doesn't do a transition statement. He just goes, these two things are going hand in hand. The law, the word of God, and the creation of God. They're going hand in hand. They're talking about how scripture and creation revealing the reality of God. He gets no transition. He's just saying, listen, the heavens and the law, creation and scripture, science and faith, they go hand in hand. They always have. Both are revealing the greatness, the grandness of God. He's revealed both in created order and through his word. It's not just words on a page that are corroborating the glorious creator God. It's also everything else around us. It's so intricate and so powerful. And we could go on and on and on. The precepts of the Lord, verse 8, are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord. Talking about the word of God is pure. It's enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. There it is, the voice of God going out in his word and in creation, and they go together. Creation is that general revelation of God. It's showing us what he's like. Romans 1, what may be known about God is plain to humanity because God has made it plain to them for since creation in the world of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. The general revelation, the heart of God is through creation, but then we have special revelation that comes from Scripture. Scripture is the special revelation, the, the unique revelation where he says, this is who I am through his prophets, through his apostles. This is who I am. This is what I'm like. And the direct message is saying, this is who I am and this is what I do. We have these beautiful pieces, both God's design and creation and his word declaring what is true, science and the natural world is screaming what the word of God is also saying. We just get to look at it. You know, the sun is almost a million, let me just try to get your head around this, a million times, almost a million times bigger than the earth. So the earth right now, meaning if it was a, the earth was a golf ball, then the sun would be 15 feet across. You could fit 960,000 Earths inside of the sun. Can you, I just kept trying to get my head around the bigness of that. I saw this, that with current technology, it would take the money of the, the gross national product of the United States of America over a period of 7 million years 
for companies to be able to produce the same amount of power as the sun produces in one second. The power coming off of the sun is so far beyond any of your and my imagination could possibly comprehend. And as cool and as great as that is, the sun is only one of billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy and a kind of a smallish one at that. And scientists believe that there are billions of galaxies. And just side note, Psalm 147, God determines the number of the stars and he calls them each, the billions upon billions, by name. He's good and he's big. It's easy to come into these rooms feeling a lot of heaviness and weight of the problems we have. God's in control. He's grand and he's beautiful beyond anything that we could imagine. And he loves us in ways we cannot even comprehend. So far beyond what we could comprehend. I think that's why God does the Milky Way or the galaxies. It's just for you and I to just get a picture of what the grandness of who he is and his love for us is. But you can just, we listen, we can just talk about the things out there. We can talk about the thing here, right? Where we can be amazed. Your body is a walking miracle, right? We can all look in the mirror sometimes and feel a little unhappy. Let me tell you what a miracle you are. There is no one else on earth like you, and no one reflects the glory of God quite like you. This human body, the thing that houses our soul, it's, it's staggering. One cell from your mama and one cell from your daddy. Each gave you 23 chromosomes, 46 total chromosomes, and formed your unique DNA code. Each one of us is one of Revelably, seven and a half billion people on the planet right now, estimated in total over the, you know, uh, the length of people that people have been around, 107 billion people have ever lived. 107 billion people have ever lived. Each person to ever live, 107 billion, have an utterly unique DNA. DNA is a three billion character description of you making up your human genome. Three billion character description. That's what your DNA is. There's 107 billion people have ever lived. Not one of them has the same DNA. You're so uniquely crafted. You're awesome. And you're full of the grandeur of God. The, the, over, the evidence is overwhelming where we get to see through natural created order. So here's the question. Where's the argument it's that somehow faith and science are at odds when in fact one is proving the other. Science is corroborating the fact that there's a unique and powerful and beautiful God that has created and crafted us. That black and white view that it's one or the other ultimately breaks down. And people have tried to do that. I don't know if you've read, uh, uh, if you've heard of Richard Dawkins, the author of the book, The God Delusion, 
he likes to take aim um, at faith and Christianity, and he's one of many that have sought to do this. In his book, he actually makes a claim that 7% of scientists believe in a personal God. Only 7% of scientists believe in a personal God. But actually, there were studies done on this. Study conducted back in 1916. They uh, pulled scientists together. They asked this question. Do you believe in a God who actively communicates with humanity, at least through prayer? This is 1916. You know how many answered yes to that question? Not 7%. 40%. 40% said yes. 40% said no. 20% weren't totally sure. 80 years later, same study, same question, 1996. Same uh, question was posed to a, a, a vast group of scientists. And you would think in the course and the way the world has gone, that maybe that would shift over a period of time, the last 80 years in our history and all the things we've learned and all the things we've seen. Same thing. You know what? 80 years, that number, 40% of scientists that believe in a God who communicates with us, at least through prayer, has been unchanged. Unchanged. They're out there. Followers of Jesus who are scientists uh, some of you would be familiar with the name um, Dr. Francis Collins. Uh, Dr. Collins was the director of the Institute of Health. And he was one of the voices that were helping give direction to some of the pandemic response. He served in a couple of different uh, presidential administrations. Uh, he resigned that role at the end of last year. But before he did that, he in, uh, identified many genes that connected human diseases, discoveries that led to the formation of the Human Genome Project. And I just want to be clear. I don't know that I would agree with everything that Dr. Collins has ever said or written, but there is no debating that he's one of the most brilliant scientific minds of our generation, deeply involved uh, in the scientific world. And I just want to finish this morning by getting to listen uh, to his story. You guys take a look. In the home where I grew up, faith was not something that was talked about very much. My father was a professor of drama, my mother was a playwright. When I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion began to occur, I found no reason to attach value to a faith worldview. I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. In medical school, I loved the experience of learning about the human body and all of its complexities. And I particularly loved being introduced to genetics. But then I moved on to the clinical training portion, learning to take care of patients with real diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people with real suffering. One afternoon, I was with one of my patients, a wonderful woman, much like a grandmother, she had very bad heart disease. She had a particularly bad episode of chest pain while I was with her. She got through it, and at the end of that, explained to me how her faith in Jesus was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really able to give her that much help, but her faith was. And after she finished her own very personal description of that faith, she turned to me. I had been silent. She looked at me quizzically, and then she asked, What do you believe, doctor? I was stunned. I said I didn't really know. 
Her question had made me realize that as an atheist, I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do, is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. So I was determined to search for evidence. I was greatly assisted by a pastor who lived down the road, who tolerated my blasphemous questions, and gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity. Here was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect, who had traveled the same path. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis. In fact, I soon discovered that there are many pointers towards a creator that come from science itself. The universe had a beginning. It follows elegant mathematical laws. And it is fine-tuned by the way all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain very precise range to make life possible. As I searched for more evidence of what God must be like, I encountered the person of Jesus Christ. I was amazed to discover how much we know about his life. I had thought that Christ was as much myth as history. As I studied more, I learned there is a great deal of evidence for his teachings and even for his having risen literally from the dead. The evidence was compelling and it demanded a decision. That day at my patient's bedside started a journey for me, a journey that I was reluctant to begin, but I felt I needed to. It was a journey that I thought would result in strengthening my atheism, <laughs> but to my surprise, resulted in my conversion. I am now a follower of Jesus. Isn't that cool? I love uh, the picture of getting to be one who just shares the testimony of the goodness of God in our lives and to set people on a journey. You know, the truth is there's Jesus-following scientists uh, that have disagreements in the same way that there are Jesus-loving theologians that have kind of disagreement on lots of those peripheral issues. There are some of those guys that have uh, room for creation and with some aspects of evolution. Um, there are Jesus-loving, Bible-believing scientists that believe that um, the world was created in a literal six days. And there are some out there, they're Jesus-loving, Bible-believing scientists that believe Genesis 1 is a figurative or metaphorical picture that kind of ties in uh, with some version of some of the things that uh, would be called uh, evolutionary. But I wanted just to hear this. What we get to see without, without any question from Scripture is that God created the universe, and that, listen, Christian unity isn't based on us being able to agree with all the scientists or all the theologians out there. That our unity and our ability to walk with each other doesn't mean we have to be on the exact same page, but it does mean we get to hold fast to the one thing and the, the, those core things that are foundational to our faith. What's foundational to our faith? God created this universe. We talk about it in our Connect class. What we say is, uh, in essential beliefs, we have unity. We call those our closed-handed things. Those are the things that we're rock solid on about what it means to be saved and have faith and life in Christ. 
In non-essential beliefs, we have liberty, meaning the things that are outside of salvation. We can have conversations, but in all of our beliefs, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be loving and gracious with each other so that we're going to build bridges like that woman who sat in that bedside, built a bridge for that scientist to be able to go on a discovery of the true king of the universe. Let's build bridges. We build bridges. This is what we do. We build bridges, and we're going to be that that kind of a people. What's essential about creation? What's essential about science? God designed it. He made it. He created it. He's done it, right? But let's love people well who don't necessarily think the same. Let's open doors and help other people get introduced to Jesus because he's the one we're looking for. Amen? He's the one we're looking for, and he's the one we're leading people to. And we'll let God and the Holy Spirit do his work of changing and transforming hearts, but we'll stand on that beautiful truth that there is a king maker, creator, who is making us and making us ready to be in, in his nation and his kingdom and to love people well in this temporary one that we live in until we get to see him face to face. You guys stand with me. We're just gonna close out here this morning. If you'll just pray with me. Father, we open our hands to be ready, willing vessels who share your heart and truth. And God, even now, we thank you. Can we just, even just where you're at, you guys join us online, you here in the room, we thank you for the ironclad, deep truths that we believe in and stand on. They're immovable. We thank you, God, that you're the creator of this universe, and we trust you. We set on these things. We choose to walk in these truths. Jesus, you're the king of the universe. And only through you and your life can we find hope, life, and salvation. And we stand on these truths, and we thank you. But God, would you give us grace today to love people well who do not stand in that place? Lord, would you give us vision for loving those that are far from you, who believe different things than us? May we love them well and give and serve and care from a place of life and freedom that you've given to us. We open our hands, Lord, to be ones who share with kindness and mercy and goodness your faithfulness. So God, would you make us willing vessels that walk with you, that lead towards you? Would you make us charitable in our demeanor and our actions and our words and help us to be bridge builders. We ask in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give each of you today supernatural peace in the name of Jesus, who is the Savior and the King of this universe he created. Amen. Amen. Blessings. Love you guys. We'll have some prayer partners down here up front. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.